0: i love how he says we're live that's the coolest thing ever (laughs) welcome to between lewis and lovecraft
1: i'm hannah and i'm tyler we're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us a journey into the stories they not only created but also lived
0: so join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach All right, Hannah, which box? Which Ooh. one are you having?
1: Have Okay, I know Count Chocula has always been a thing, but Booberry and Frankenberry, are those for real?
0: Yeah, those have been just as as popular as Count Chocula.
1: Ooh. um, I'm going to do Frankenberry because it right. looks the weirdest.
0: All right, Frankenberry. It's very Hannah. pink, and I'm we a have, girl. We have our producer for the episode, Talon sitting out there
1: yes power couple we're taking yeah, over the show guys, that's
0: fine he, if he just wants to replace me for the next six months i'll, <laughs> I'll sleep and tyler
1: talon pretty similar
0: yeah we gotta get this dance now. <laughs>
1: I'm
0: opening the frankenberry talon what uh what what cereal halloween cereal are you going with count chocula all right all right let me just get this poured for hannah <sighs> We're doing Halloween right, guys. Wow. Look at that. That Frankenberry. All right. Opening Count chocula what are these, like,
1: pieces supposed to be shaped like ghosts? Uh, no, like Franken. They don't look things. at all like Frankenstein. <laughs> In fact, the cartoon doesn't look so, like Frankenstein. Get
0: some, get some more ASMR.
1: We suddenly just got, like, a lot of weird, creepy male listeners tuning ah. into this show.
0: Hear that. Every time you open the box, blah, chocolate. <laughs>
1: That would be really cool if General Mills could make the box, make that sound. They
0: have birthday cards that can do that. Why yeah, can't why not
1: cereal do? boxes?
0: And then, like, kids can't just, like, sneak in, sneak out food. All right, Talon, you're going to have to come in here and get this. Some Count Chocula.
1: Oh, yeah, in the middle of the night when you're trying to sneak food from yeah. your parents. All right, it and totally sells you out.
0: Booberry for me. Booberry.
1: Here you go, darling.
0: The uh, artificially berry-flavored frosted Wait. cereal with monster marshmallows. Try a bite of
1: this, though, because it looks scary. <laughs> yes. Yes, chew it. Absolutely got to chew it into the microwave. Blueberry, <opened> open up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's just so that? cute. It
0: smells like grapes. Like, yeah, this ca- it immediately hits your face with grape smell. <laughs> This is great audio. This is just gonna be the cool episode. It's just us eating Halloween cereal.
1: I feel like anyone who's tr- tuning in for the first time is just like, what the fuck is What's this? What is
0: The chaos of cereal. Ooh, Here we go. Here's the This is really yummy. Here's gonna here's the first bite of blueberry, which is I think grape flavored. I don't it know. should
1: be blueberry flavored. It <laughs> should
0: be. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um I I slandered Frankenberry. It's really actually quite good.
0: Did you? All right. Yeah. All right. So, we got our Halloween cereal. We I, I don't know if you've done anything Halloweeny other than this, but I carved pumpkins last night.
1: I'm glad you also say Halloweeny. People make fun of me when I say that. What? It's totally. You're saying weenie.
0: All right. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> You Carved uh,
1: Pumpkins. I watched Halloween Kills, the ooh, newest Halloween. The newest Halloween movie, yeah. Yeah, so go back and listen to our reviews of of that last year. Is that when we did that? Yeah, last yeah. year we
0: did the, the... The
1: original Halloween.
0: The original Halloween, and people roasted us. Oh, no, I meant listening listen con. to the
1: podcast episode. Oh, yeah. right.
0: If you watched the YouTube video, people roasted us.
1: <laughs> people don't like when people talk in review videos. <laughs> I guess,
0: yeah. We were just supposed to sit there for an hour and a half and shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft, you guys. This is our Halloween special, our Flash Fiction Halloween special. Uh, Hannah and I are going to be sitting here enjoying three serials while we listen to the Saturday morning cartoon anthology of, <laughs> of Halloween. Halloween. We hope that you will join us. We hope that you have gone to a Winco or where, wherever else <laughs> they sell Halloween specialty cereals and you are waking up on Halloween morning listening to this show. And we're going to put it out a week before, but
1: Halloween is like our Christmas. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's the be- it's literally the best. Um so so wake up with us, enjoy the Halloweeny times that we are celebrating. Hannah First story. The first we're doing a first story. So guys, real quick, we got a lot of stories.
1: Yeah, you guys really outdid yourselves with the submissions. Yeah. Um I think we got like well, we got more than we actually included. Yeah, we had we, to pare it down did, a little bit for the first did time. We turn
0: away a couple of stories, just a couple, just because they weren't quite lining up with what we wanted. Um, but the authors of those stories did an amazing job, and it's no discredit to them. It's just we want to save those stories okay. for later. Yes. Uh, so that's, that's definitely happening. Uh, we've got submissions from fans we've got submissions from professional writers we have we have submissions from voice actors who want to write and writers who want to voice act um all kinds of stuff so it's it's a big deal last year i went on some big spiel for like 20 friggin minutes i was listening to the episode the other day and i was like (laughs) tyler shut the fuck up um And today I'm going to shut up because I've been moving for the past couple of days. It's been raining. I've been doing a podcast almost every day for the past week. My voice is shot and I can't breathe. So I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to enjoy some cereal and some scary stories.
1: Perfect. And um, as usual with the Halloween episodes, I have not heard any of these stories except for the ones that... I wrote and or recorded. Uh, So this is all a surprise to me, but we are going to start with Tyler Clausen's story. Tyler, what is your story's title?
0: Um, What Is Yet to Come.
1: All right, What Is Yet to Come.
0: I can see it. I ran all the way to the ocean. I ran from my apartment, from my My wife and kids, they told me I I couldn't see it, but how would they know? They couldn't see it. They didn't know, work doesn't know, church. Pastor Greg says that it's past trauma manifesting into my consciousness. Says he can help, give me a list of scriptures to read and, and help me when it begins, but I tried that. And it still opened. It still reached out and begs for me. The walls still breathed, and the darkness still seeped in. So I ran. And now I stand at the ocean, on the coastline. The closest thing to an eternal horizon as I can get. But it still opens. The door. Blackened by the reality of understanding the universe. Like, like standing in the sun and seeing a shaded place. It is a void of non-information. My mind, my mind can't process it. I'm left with, with frustration of knowing that I can see the whole of time and space from this shaded place. It starts as simple as a slit in the fabric of air, cutting through molecules and atoms. It is between all things, in the distance between electrons and the nuclei, and then it breaks. It breaks open like a toothless vertical maw. It unhinges its creaking smile to invite me in. The darkness of reality, like a fog rolling into my world. Then the hand makes its way into the light, pale. Long fingers lead to gray and lean arms that lead to a figure so malnourished and gangly that its ribcage becomes the most dominating feature. Its gray legs are connected by geriatric hips and flow from the pale to the dark, its feet amongst the shadows disappearing. The creature stands in the empty void of the world beyond the world. My life is draining of color. I see the darkness shifting back and forth. The blue ocean has gone shades of gray. The truth of our reality is left colorless and vapid in the shadow of what truly exists beyond us. And the creature nods its head as I come to terms with its message. But it's the smile that pulls my eyes. The head is that of a woman, except for the lack of eyes, nose, ears, hair, and, and all other features that would make the blood circulate in a young boy. Instead, this creature holding its hand out to me, inviting me, has only a massive toothy mouth capable of splitting its head in two with the natural curve of its toothy smile and I know from that smile that it looks at me it stares waiting it wants me to come it wants me to know the truth the truth that that no one else sees none other can see it I'm alone But, I'm, I'm right. And, and I will tell the world of the things that I see. I'll show them all. The darkness of reality can have me. I take the hand of the creature. And I begin my walk into the dark as I speak one of Pastor Craig's scriptures. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own.
2: He will He's speak only what he, he hears. And he will tell, tell you what is yet to come.
1: Tyler, that was too scary. I don't want to keep going. <laughs> no, that was very good. It was very like um, Lovecraft meets Midnight Mass, if you've seen the new I, Netflix I show. Haven't,
0: I haven't seen that at all. No.
1: And also the best use of geriatric I've ever heard in a horror story. Yep.
0: Trying, that was amazing. I'm just trying to finish up my first bowl here. I'm going to eat one bowl for every story. Do storm. not <laughs> slurp
1: right next to the microphone.
0: <laughs> <coughs> uh, I can't laugh. Hannah, I have, I have asthma. It's bad. I need my cereal milk.
1: People with asthma can't laugh. Is that a new rule? I'm having.
0: I've been having an <laughs> asthma attack all weekend because I've been moving. So, like now my lungs are just like. Oh
1: my gosh.
0: Super shit. Uh, so yeah, that was that was my story, and I read it myself.
1: It was very good.
0: Thank you. I had fun writing that at. Uh, some random parking lot that I was waiting for the store to open so I could go do my job. And I was like, I'll just write this story real quick.
1: Did you already have the idea in your head or did you like sit down and try to think of something for this episode?
0: So actually, I didn't plan on writing a story for this episode. I was just kind of I was literally just bored sitting there. I was like, I guess I could because our, our good friend Brianna Fenty uh, posted on a group that I'm in uh, for we do prompts for each other where we just do short flash fiction stories based off of a picture and that's the picture that she sent
1: oh and yes so I, for those I, not d- looking at it it yeah. uh, is very gray and kind of formless but the ribs are kind of freaky yeah
0: so I basically just tried to go okay what would I what is this story and so I that's pretty wrote cool it, and I was like yeah let's do that for the for the show
1: awesome yeah. Well, uh, Brianna has a story coming up in a little bit, but um, first we'll, we'll keep it moving with another return contributor, Steve Kane. Uh, he submitted a story called Hi Daddy, and it's read by Paul Davis. And um, we'll give you a little bit more info about both those guys after we hear the story. But for yeah. now, Hi Daddy by Steve Kane.
3: Lane Hinckley stumbled down the church aisle, he was aware of the eyes staring at him. His own eyes were bloodshot and puffy. He took a seat in the third row on the left side of the church. He glanced up at the casket, then stared down at his folded hands in his lap.
4: "'Hi, Daddy,'
3: Lane heard in his head. That's how Jeter always greeted him when he saw him in the mornings or when he came home from work.
4: "'Hi, Daddy,'
3: that sweet, pure, high-pitched voice. A few days prior, Lane was in his recliner watching college football, LSU versus Ole Miss. He had gotten drunk the night before, as he did many nights, and he started off his Saturday morning right where he had left off Friday night. Jeter, four years old, was sitting on the floor coloring a Paw Patrol page. Janelle, the boy's mother and Lane's wife, was at the grocery store, buying ribs and chicken for dinner. As had happened on many occasions, Lane dozed in the recliner, beer and cigarette on the end table. LSU scored another touchdown, but Lane was oblivious. Outside, the crisp, cool October air was broken by the musical chimes of an ice cream truck down the street. Reverend Poehler began the service with prayer. As he prayed, Lane heard the unmistakable voice in his head. He looked up at the pulpit, and Jeter's voice was coming from the pastor's mouth. Hi, Daddy. Lane glanced to his left and to his right. Jeter's face was everywhere. Mrs. Taylor, his next-door neighbor and babysitter.
4: Hi, Daddy.
3: His cousin Carl.
4: Hi, Daddy.
3: Lane shook his head and looked back at his lap. Across the aisle, he could feel Janelle's cold eyes upon him. Lane never heard what happened. The sound of a fist banging on the front door woke him. Bleary-eyed, he staggered to the door and saw a police officer standing on the porch. There were flashing lights. A young man in a Good Times ice cream uniform sat on the lawn with his head in his hands, convulsing. EMTs were standing over a blood-stained sheet lying in the middle of the road.
4: Hi, Daddy.
3: Reverend Poehler led the congregation in a singing of Amazing Grace. The church was filled with voices. Amazing Grace, how sweet the- Hi, Daddy. Lane looked around the music-filled room. Everyone around him had a hymnal open. That saved a wretch like- Hi, Daddy. The church was flooded with Jeter's voice, coming from a multitude of people. I once was-
4: Hi, Daddy.
3: But now am-
4: Hi, Daddy.
3: Every face turned towards him. Every face was Jeter. No. Lane whimpered, reaching into the pocket of his suit coat. He pulled out a silver flask and unscrewed the top. From the interior of the flask came his son's voice.
4: Hi, Daddy.
3: Lane stood up violently, shaking the pew and dropping his flask. All eyes were upon him. All eyes were Jeter's. The flask hit, the red carpet spilling its contents. The smell of booze filled the church. The alcohol pooled for a moment, then shifted to spell out.
4: Hi, Daddy.
3: On the floor. Lane screamed, no, Jeter, no. He ran down the aisle towards the exit door. Jeter's face smiled at him from every direction as he passed. Hi,
4: Daddy. Hi, Daddy. Hi, Daddy. Daddy. Every
3: face, every voice, every sweet, innocent voice.
4: Hi, Hi, Daddy. Daddy.
3: Lane reached the door and burst through. The midday light blinded him and he stumbled down the church stairs. His momentum carried him forward into the street. There was the sound of a truck's brakes, a thump, and silence. Lane opened his eyes slightly. The light of the sun still blinded. He saw several people standing over him, but they were shadows. He could taste blood in his mouth just past the taste of booze. A siren sounded faint in the distance. He could hear the people around him mumbling, but he couldn't make out what they were saying. He thought one of the people was the Reverend. Another could have been Carl. He wasn't sure. As his eyes adjusted, he could see that it was none of them. It was Jeter. They were all Jeter. His son looked down on him with his beautiful blue eyes and his tender smile. The wailing of the siren grew louder as it drew closer. Jeter lifted a hand to his father. His voice echoed in Lane's head from all around him, the last voice he would hear. Bye, daddy. Lane closed his eyes as soon as his son drew the sheet over his face.
1: Um that was real creepy.
0: <laughs> it's a little bit sadder than, than I got most of the I ones. got really
1: sad in the middle. Yeah. And and then by the end I was like, "Oh, <clears throat> screw this kid."
0: Yeah. I had to listen to that like five or six times and like it was like, "All right, this is sad." <laughs>
1: <laughs> Cuz you were uh, mixing it, right? Yeah. Like what you did with the amazing grace in the background. <laughs> yeah. Did you like yeah. it? It got a
0: little choppy, but I think it turned out pretty well.
1: Yeah. So that I was liked it. That was fantastic um, yeah. from Steve Kane, who um, has had a lot of work on our show, and he has yeah. a lot of published work too. Um, his latest book, December Promise, just came out um, and is available on Amazon or through him directly. He's um, also
0: in a band. Yeah, called uh, Rising Within. Uh, he plays. He, I think he's a singer. I think he's the lead singer mm-hmm. of the band. Uh, and so he's he's a triple threat.
1: He is. They just released he um, can dance, their debut. Can you dance? I don't. Steve know. dance.
0: Send us a video of you dancing.
1: Steve.
0: You you haven't done enough for us. Yeah. Uh, right. but no, Steve was one of the ones that he he sent us a submission and we kind of turned it away just cuz it wasn't exactly right. But then he came back with another one and I was like, ah, I got to I got to have this one in there cuz it's good. It's a it really good, good story. He's a great he's a great writer. So you should definitely check out his work anywhere on like on Amazon you mm-hmm. can find it. Uh Steve Kane and that's with a C.
5: Yeah, and then Paul Davis read that, right?
0: Yeah, Paul Davis is a good friend of mine. Uh, He has been helping edit a lot of my work, Um, so he he really gets into the process of like telling good stories. Um, And this is, as far as I know, the first time he's ever done like audio voiceover work in any way. Uh, I know he's been trying to get set up to start his own podcast. Nice. Um, So I've been helping him with that. So you guys can follow him. Um, on online, he's got several books. He is an author himself. He has several books out in the ether. You can look him up, Paul Davis. Um, he did an entire series of fantasy stories that's based off of mythological um, stories from around the world. Awesome! So really, really interesting stuff. Um, Steve is or er, Steve uh, Paul is a really cool guy. So uh, I was sad when he didn't actually submit a story. <sighs> It would have been
5: good. Well,
1: he still contributed. So thank you to um, Steve and Paul for that story. And up next, we have Brianna Fenty's submission, Leporidi.
0: Yep. You got it right. That's how it's pronounced.
1: I said it with confidence. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Read by Laura Daly.
6: Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah. A mountain hare stares from across the field, vacant eyes unblinking. Which one of your lives is this, it asks, and I return to the cottage for some very strong black tea and maybe a splash of brandy. Winter heather, done and dry, undulates in the wind outside the window, the one above the sink. The kettle rumbles on the counter. The mug is cold in my hand. I watch the red light, waiting for the green, the click, for the boil to crest and fall because I know if I look up, I'll see it again statues still on the moors. When I pour the water over the silk sachet, I slip and burn my fingers. I run them under the tap and opt for the bottle of Strathern because what good after all will Earl Grey do once when all the hair starts screaming? There's nothing out here on these barren hills, only them. The floor is hard beneath me, the cabinets rigid behind me. I hunker on the kitchen floor with cider brandy bubbling in my belly souring and scorching because I haven't eaten today, yesterday, or even the day before. The bottle's almost empty. It's the last one left. Alcohol had never been a vice of mine. Not until I arrived. Not until I found the old crofter's stash under the wonky floorboard by the fireplace when I'd gone on a mad search for somewhere to hide. I remember thinking, metronoming between the Glenlivet in one hand and the Lagavulin in the other. It seemed an awfully risky place to keep a hooch hideaway, hemming in the hearth, so close to the flue. Then I realized there were no logs, no grates, not so much as a stoker. The walls spotless, the ground sootless, everything spick and span. The cleanest corner of the cottage by far. Why? because it had never been used. Highlands in midwinter. I use the stove for warmth. Maybe the smell of wood smoke draws them. Bumblebees to nectar or wasps to rotten posts. Or maybe it's just the heat and I should turn the oven off. Which one of your lives is this? I bang my head on the silverware drawer, but it was just a dream. My heart free falls into my stomach, my stomach to my knees, a sickening domino of so on and so forth the moment I realize the hour. My burned fingers sting. Gale force winds rattle the house's bones and make its hairline fractures sing. Outside the window is only black, the one over the sink. The last of the booze is gone in seconds. The bottle thumps on the drain. Vomit coats the glass, though the act of puking no longer registers. It happens every time. Orange blossom light spills from the tinted oven door. I'm a firefly in a jar running out of air. The jar is cracked and breakable, the lid barely screwed on. My gut shrieks at me to find a closet, an attic, and under the bed, but I don't listen because what's the point anymore? Yes, there's fear. Yes, there's Dread. That tiny child inside, the one we all have and pretend we don't, begs for its mommy, alive and sobbing snot. A soft thud at the door makes her wail for daddy too, but he's not coming either. No one is. Not people, anyway. There was a time I'd heed my instinct, flip-flopping between fight or flight, But at some point, I grew tired and decided to stop resisting. It was easier to sit and wait. It went faster that way, too. And in that, there was a mercy small in breadth and short in depth, but a mercy nonetheless. You take what you can get when you're alone on these barren hills. You take what you can get when the world has nothing left to give. Mountain hares are nocturnal. A lot of people don't know that. The screams begin, and the door falls. And there he is, she is, it is, asking. Which one of your lives is says. Even though it damn well knows. Just as I collapse. I'll wake tomorrow after dying, lying in a heather bed at noon. Again, it'll pose its question. Again, this will go unanswered. I've vowed to never speak, but inside I know this number. I hold it close, keeping a tally in bloody chalk like a caged and kidnapped girl scratching days into the wall. 110 times I've lived. 110 times I've died. On and on and on it goes. I wish I had more brandy. damn that's
0: the sort of story that you just want to have a glass of brandy with like that you want to just drink while you listen <laughs> to it cuz it just sets the mood for halloween
1: she did such a good job like i'm I'm very much in love with the Scottish Highlands, anyway. But like, all of her descriptions were so good, and she just totally sets that mood where I I like feel the cold and like damp dread of the whole story. Yeah, that's so good.
5: All
0: right, so who wrote that? That Tell us about the writer.
1: That was Brianna Fenty, a longtime friend of the show. Mm -hmm. Um, We I had her on Correspondence over the summer, I believe. So definitely go back and check that out if you haven't already heard it. She talks about you know her inspiration and writing process, and she is in the process of like finishing up a novel she's like got an agent and they're kind of shopping it around so we talk a little bit about that too so definitely listen to that one i
0: forgot to mention that paul was on correspondence as well so our last reader was also on correspondence so you can get to know him there as well
1: for sure um and if you want to see more of brianna's work she's submitted um stuff to like a ton of anthologies so she's got stuff out there um you can visit her website which is www.briannafenty.com and her name is spelled b-r-i-a-n-n-a-f-e-n-t-y
0: and the reader of that story was Laura Daly. Well, is Laura Daly. She's still alive. She's still
1: alive. Well, maybe not. Yeah, Did anyone know, check in with her uh, after that story? Just,
0: just last night. Um, Laura is an actress, uh, voice actor. Um, I don't know if she's put that on her resume, but she should because she's done <laughs> this now twice. Um, and she, uh, she plays on Fables of Refuge. We had most of the cast of Fables of Refuge do our readings last year. Uh, A couple of them carried over and continued to help out with it. And Laura is one of those. She is a fantastic actress and D&D player. So if you want to watch her play D&D, you guys can check out Fables of Refuge. um, Just about anywhere you want, like Twitch and YouTube and stuff like that. Um, And she has a website, Laura Daily, and that's D-A-L-I... Gosh dang it, I knew I was going to get that one. D-A-I-L-E-Y. LauraDaily.com. Um, if you're looking for, you know, an actress or something for your show, call her up. Tell her I sent you. <laughs> she won't give you a discount I was going to say She'll I'm be like, like Thanks for letting me know That he sent you Now that makes sense Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh man
1: I told you I can't laugh Hannah no, Sorry Stop making yourself laugh then Damn it All This right. is Halloween I'll, It's scary
0: I'll take the next one I can introduce The next one perfectly I know everything <laughs> about it And the author You can just sit back On this one.
1: one Oh he's just Mansplaining my own Relationship <laughs> to me Alright tell me about The next one Hannah The next author is really hot um a fantastic writer um so our next story i like how
0: those are your priorities yeah i want a man who's very hot and a fantastic writer. honestly
1: the fantastic writer part is kind of a a drawback because i want to be a writer so i'm kind of mad that my boyfriend is a better writer than me sometimes
0: yeah i'm also mad that your boyfriend's a better writer (laughs) than me
1: So the next story is by uh, Hannah's boyfriend, Talon Paul, and it's called When Winter Comes.
7: A buzzer rang and Cyrus opened a door into a visitation room of the county jail. Natalie entered and sat down staring at Cyrus, leaving him with the feeling that the conversation would go differently if they weren't separated by laminated glass. Hi, Mrs. Rukima, Cyrus began. I'm not Mrs. Rukima anymore. Natalie cut him off. Okay, Natalie. My name is Cyrus Winter, and I'm a private investigator. I know who you are, detective, Natalie said, annoyed. I just need to know what happened. Anything you can tell me may help find your husband. My husband is dead, Natalie said sternly. What makes you so sure? Cyrus slicked his hair back while Natalie laughed. I've already spoken to the police. Look where that got me. Cyrus held up a picture of a little girl in a polka dot hat. How about helping me find her? Natalie looked at the picture and lost her mask of hardened emotion. "'I'm not a cop, Natalie. I'm here to help you.' "'I don't... I don't know what happened,' Natalie started, eyes watering. "'We were hiking, the same place we usually go. I mean, it's not like we were the only ones on the trail. We saw plenty of people. I... I just... I don't know what happened.' Cyrus remained silent, hoping Natalie would continue. "'One... one second he was there, and the, the next he wasn't,' she said, crying.' All that was left was his backpack. I I turned around for 2 seconds. She put her head down and gripped her hair. I don't I don't know what happened. I I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, she repeated, breathing heavily. "Natalie," Cyrus said. "I'm I'm done here," she exclaimed, getting up and knocking on the door. "Natalie, I need more information than that," Cyrus pressed. "I I don't know what to tell you, detective." A deputy opened the door to escort her out. Cyrus looked at the picture of the girl again. Cyrus opened a map of a national park and began marking various points with red dots. He sat and stared at the map for a while. He looked at the picture of the little girl again and sighed heavily. Nothing left but his backpack, he muttered to himself, grabbing a polka dot hat and a plastic bag on his desk. Cyrus grabbed the map, put some hiking gear in a small rucksack, then threw it in his car. Cyrus pulled into a dirt parking lot surrounded by trees. He noticed a few other cars taking note of their license plates. He lit a cigarette and began his trek into the woods. Baker Lake Trail, a sign read as Cyrus passed by. Cyrus held out the map and examined the red dots, trying to make sense of them. He continued his march, holding out a compass and trying to identify any significant features from the map. Should be around here somewhere, he thought to himself. He held his finger on a red dot, then looked around at his surroundings. He noticed a dead tree stretching out of a large boulder. The tree didn't seem to belong. It was the only one that looked blackened and had far too many reaching branches. Where the hell is the lake, he thought, double and triple checking the map and his compass. Well, shit. He lit another cigarette and marched on, persistent but losing confidence. After a while, he pulled out the map again and traced his fingers along the trail he thought he took. He looked around, confused. Hours had passed and he was sure it would be getting dark by now. What the... Cyrus stopped in his tracks, looking at the same dead tree crawling out of the boulder. Cyrus turned and looked behind him, realizing he recognized everything. He continued his march, past that damn tree. Damn it, he said, beginning to jog. Nausea stirred in his stomach, his heart beat pounding and the adrenaline leaving his hands shaking. He didn't know what he was running from, but he knew he needed to get out. His ears began to ring and his vision blurred, darkening into a narrow tunnel. He fell to his knees, looking at that damn tree again, gripping at his mind. Not like this, he thought, pulling a firearm from his hip. Enough, he cried out, an immense weight pulling him to the dirt. Disoriented, he prepared for the dread approaching. The forest closed in around him. He pleaded for it to stop. The trail Cyrus started on was left as peaceful as he entered, except for his backpack, propped up neatly against the deathly tree reaching out of the boulder. Damn.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Pretty good, eh? Yeah. Did you produce it? Did you do all the mixing? I on did the it?
1: mixing on it. Uh, Talon did the voiceover, though. Obvi- yeah. Yeah. Obvi- that yeah. Was, yeah. So he wrote um, and voiced it.
0: Yeah. Um. Fuck. I just. Talked about a stupid door opening up. He told a full fucking story in like seven <laughs> words.
1: Yeah, he's ready to do a novel on that one, probably. Yeah. Or maybe that's just me like projecting on him.
0: You definitely need to talent. You definitely have <laughs> talent. You're, I've definitely
1: never played you're that joke. A
0: talented Talon. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, I I love that story. I was mad when I read it because he finished his before I did. And I was like, "Well, how am I fucking supposed to live up
0: to this?" It's great. It's really good. It's got it's got some Stephen King vibes to it. It's got, uh, I don't know. It's it's great. It, it sets up. You did a great job of producing it as well. Like, you oh, thank you. Had that that kind of. Um, Christopher Nolan style of building <laughs> Guys, tension. I am Christopher Nolan. <laughs> yeah, you, are the, you are the Christopher Nolan of podcasts.
1: Um, um, I'll, I'll plug something for Talon. He didn't give me anything to say, um, but he just got his PI license. So if you want to hire a detective, like the one in the story uh, you just heard in the state of Washington, uh, my boyfriend's a detective now. That's fucking
5: dope,
0: dude. <laughs> I wanna just go commit a crime just so I can like (laughs) hire you to go solve it.
1: Go solve your own crime. Yeah, like
0: that'll be the twist is that all I wanted was to see you in action. (laughs) And so I hired you to go solve my mystery.
1: Hey. Any business is good business.
0: Yeah, man. That's awesome. Way to go, Talon, man. Uh, I hate you for being so talented and
5: awesome. Me too.
1: But I also love you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The next story is um, mine. And unlike the sci-fi episode, these are not related. Uh Um, But, you know, I I just stacked them this way for Mm -hmm. funsies. Sure. Uh, My story is called The Town, and it is read by me, Hannah Ray Lambert. Party bow <laughs> you were doing so well the backpacker peeled away a coil of ripped chain link fence and stumbled out of the dense forest starving and exhausted to his bones but overwhelmed with relief a town finally he marveled at the comforting straight edges of buildings and concrete a wide treeless expanse that allowed the sun to warm his face The backpacker made for the nearest street, not noticing how quiet and still the town was. He practically skipped down the road, hoping to find a convenience store or restaurant where he could ask to use someone's phone. He passed a gas station first, but the sign was flipped to closed and the windows were dark. A series of yellow X's painted on the sidewalk, spaced a yard or two apart, trailed from the door to the parking lot. One hose hung limply to the ground by a pump. The cement stained dark brown next to it. The backpacker continued, undeterred, glancing at the houses on the side of the street. The blinds were closed on most of the windows, then a flash of movement. A little girl, maybe ten, pushed aside the curtains and stared out the glass. The backpacker waved. She didn't wave back, instead glancing over her shoulder. A woman appeared at the window behind her, lips pressed into a thin line. Hello, the backpacker shouted, waving again. Do you have a phone? I'm a bit lost. The woman stared at him for another moment, then pulled her daughter back from the window and yanked the curtains shut. Not very neighborly, the backpacker thought. Two houses down, an old man peered through his window. Flattened cardboard boxes and chunks of styrofoam were piled high next to the front door, near a sign reading, Place Deliveries Here. The backpacker waved his hands back and forth over his head, trying to signal that he needed help. The old man just watched him through smudged glasses. Across the street, he noticed two teenage boys looking down from an upstairs window. When they saw that they had his attention, one pressed a piece of printer paper against the glass. Run, it read. What the? He said. The backpacker began to feel uncomfortable. Why was everyone inside? And what was with the staring? Then the backpacker saw the driver's side door hanging open on a van parked across the street. Overcome with excitement, he didn't notice the words scrawled in red spray paint on the vehicle's side. Plague rat. Hey, he shouted and started jogging, his aching legs screaming in protest. Hey, do you have a- The backpacker's feet almost went out from under him as he lurched to a stop and scrambled away from the open door. A man's body slumped over the steering wheel. Blood stained the floor and seats. Maggots crawled through holes in his skin. The smell of decay made the backpacker vomit onto the street so violently that he didn't get a chance to see the yellowing stack of newspapers in the passenger seat. The oldest headlines were a year old and proclaimed the virus eradicated. The most recent issues were printed just weeks prior and lamented that some remote towns who had severed ties with the outside world now refused to believe the threat was gone. When the backpacker had emptied what little water and foraged blackberries remained in his stomach, he pressed his hands against his knees and straightened, looking right into his own reflection, staring back at him from the plastic face shield of a hazmat suit. The man in the suit stood an arm's length away, watching the backpacker carefully. Hey, the backpacker choked out, what's going? Then he saw that the man's gloved fingers were splayed out, clutching a jagged rock. Before the backpacker could scream, the left side of his skull had been caved in. After a few more strikes, the man dropped the gore-spattered rock and walked back to his house. He sprayed the suit down with disinfectant before removing it, and then he went inside to join his family for a hearty meal of freeze-dried chicken and canned beans that had expired in 2022.
0: i just got to get a little bit more... I was stressed eating that whole time
1: (laughs) I like how you've angled the microphone Right at the bowl Yeah I want
0: them to hear The the delicious cereal (laughs) We are not sponsored by this People
1: General Mills
0: But General Mills contact us for next year's episode
1: (laughs) I like how um, these gross stories are, Are making you hungry You really can't hear Oh there it goes the sound of milk pouring.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Just gotta
5: it up. Make sure all is wet.
0: Ew. Make sure I didn't get any milk on the
5: microphone. Yeah, right.
0: Uh so Hannah, that was crazy Can and count. sad and terrifying. And
1: sad? Yeah. I thought of that story while I was out hiking one day, alone in the woods.
0: And then you and Talon decided, we'll start our own MCU. No, it's not connected. No, it's not connected. The story before had a missing backpacker.
1: Yeah, but he also had a gun, so he would have shot the hazmat suit dude. He was too
0: busy throwing up and shit. (laughs) You can't tell. You're not going to convince me that those two stories aren't connected. Listen, go back listen to Talon's beautiful voice, and then listen to <laughs> Hannah's terrifying story, and you tell me that they're not connected. <laughs> what would your cinematic universe be? I called? was just trying to think of that. Yeah, I'm like, oh, the, uh, the Hallen universe.
1: <laughs> oh, that does not sound good.
5: Tana. Like
0: Tana universe. <laughs> <laughs> the Tana cinematic universe. <laughs> Uh, that was dope. Well done, Hannah. Good job.
1: Thank you. I'm glad it turned out uh, okay. I stressed I think, very I hard think about yours that. Yours
0: might have been the first one that I that I read. The first story that I read after people started really. Seeing
1: stories. I yeah. set mine in, in like 24 hours before the deadline.
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't read them until people until like the day of the deadline because I didn't want to be like. Prejudging them. I wanted to just let them come in and and let that happen. And I was I wasn't sure how many were actually gonna come in, so I didn't want to be stuck just reading like a shit ton of them.
1: Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, uh, I don't really have anything to plug that you guys haven't already heard about, so you know, follow me on Instagram or something. I've they're already listening to the podcast. (laughs) Continue listening to my podcast between Lewis and Lovecraft. You
0: can find us at Lewis and Lovecraft (laughs) at
1: (laughs) gmail.com Okay, so next up, we have a uh, another uh, story from a return contributor and close personal friend of the show, Allie Fitzgerald. Allie Fitzgerald! <laughs> bum, bum, bum. Whee, 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 whee! Uh, her story is titled Checking In, and it is read by Allie Fitzgerald.
0: Yeah, because Allie doesn't come to this table and go, oh, I'll just let you guys do all the work. She's like, <laughs> hey, not only will I do all the work for my story send me more stories so that i can help out with those
1: yes so she'll be making another appearance but for she now... does make
0: a later appearance but for now we're going to hear her story uh, acted performed
1: performed
0: performed by Allie fitzgerald
8: checking in a short ghost story by Allie fitzgerald excuse me ma'am the woman playing the piano is dead she's bleeding out why is no one listening to me call for help The man screamed to the receptionist at the hotel, who was very busy filing her nails and reading a Life magazine and couldn't seem to hear him. It was as if he was talking to a wall or rather a ghost. His name, James Wilson, a guest here currently at Hotel Monroe. He arrived at the hotel one late October night, October 15th to be exact. It was pouring rain out. He was wearing a charcoal trench coat, a dress shirt, a red floral necktie, that had been loosened after a long day of work. Brown dress shoes, black slacks, and he held a small black suitcase. Checking in, said the red-headed receptionist. Her name tag hung on a brown corduroy vest over a white button shirt and read, Olivia. She stared at him through her brown tortoise-style glasses. Sir, checking in. Olivia tried again as James came through the double-stained glass doors. His attention seemed focused on a mural of the famous Marilyn Monroe on the entrance doors. Lightning flashed with a thunderous crack from behind him as he entered. James finally walks up to the counter, shaking off the rain like a wet dog after a bath. (sighs) Checking in? Uh, yes, yes, but just for the night. Flight got delayed because of the storm until tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Right, of course. Well, don't worry about checking out tomorrow. James noticed an eerie smile as she said that, but ignored it as he was tired, wet, and cold. He patted himself down searching for his wallet. Ah, here it is. You take credit cards? We take everything. (laughs) Again, another eerie smile from Olivia. This time James smiled back to be polite and... Hopefully stop another one from emerging. Her expression never changed. He was handed his key and marched to the elevator to head to the fifth floor. He looked back, and there she was, still staring with that same eerie smile. James swore she didn't even blink. This is why I hate coming to LA, he thought to himself. He arrives at the door of his hotel room, a simple but high-end place. He rips off his wet clothes, hangs them to dry, and pulls on some PJs and collapses on the king-sized bed. That night, he had a terrible dream. In his PJs, James finds himself wandering the fifth floor. He sees a door creep open. He decides to peek inside, and he sees a doctor, two nurses, and a medical assistant hovering over a dead body. It's surgically open, and they're doing things to the person's insides. He then saw it was him, the dead body. It was his dead body. Then he felt something warm coming from his chest. He looked down. And he was bleeding. Blood was dripping from his chest. He heard a clink, looked up, and the four people in the room were slowly turning their heads towards him, their eyes hidden by the shadows under their brow. He could only focus their eerie smile, the same one Olivia gave to him. James started screaming and running back to his room. He then suddenly appeared in the kitchen, This has to be a dream, he thought and tried to pinch himself awake, but nothing happened. As he ran around trying to exit the kitchen, he saw body parts hung on the walls. People's heads, their arms, legs, as if on display in a museum. What is going on? James thought as he spun around, holding his head in a circle like he was losing his mind and uttering, No, no, no. Then he heard music playing on a piano, sending him into a trance. He followed the sound. Then he heard a voice that sounded so familiar. I'll be in a room alone, every post meridian. And I'll be with my diary and that book by Mr. Wilson. I know that song. But the lyric is, Mr. Gideon, why is she singing my name and that's, no, Marilyn Monroe is dead. She's dead. Dead, James kept repeating to himself as he followed the music. He finally arrived at the piano, and there she was, beautiful as ever. But it wasn't Marilyn, it was a young girl who looked just like her. She must be the resident look-alike performer, but she was bleeding from her chest. Just like him, James was still bleeding. James runs to the front desk to tell Olivia, Ma'am, ma'am, your singer at the piano, she's bleeding. Help! Call 911! Olivia doesn't look up. James is now screaming this to the entire lobby. Why is no one listening to me? Call for help! Finally, Olivia looks up and gives him the same eerie smile and says hi mr wilson i forgot to tell you earlier you can never check out no one is coming for you and no one can help you followed by a very manacle laugh (laughs) crack thunder strikes lightning flashes and the big double doors open a man dressed in a charcoal trench coat a dress shirt a red floral necktie brown dress shoes black slacks and is holding a small black suitcase, walks in. It was James Wilson entering the hotel. Happy check-in anniversary, (laughs) said Olivia. James finally realized. He died last year. On this day, the hotel did it. He attempts to scream, but nothing comes out. And then suddenly, there he is, on the operating table, on the fifth floor, staring at himself in the hallway, reliving it all over again.
0: Jesus
1: Christ Yeah
0: there's so much happening in that story She fit it in To about the same time frame That I fit my story (laughs) in And mine wasn't even close to 700 words
1: Oh my gosh Well done Allie Um, I can't get over the production value on that too You killed it with like the, the music And the sound effects and I was just like On a roller coaster of emotions It was
0: like listening to a Saturday morning cartoon Like it was just so much happening Bam 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 and then all the sound effects and stuff. So, yeah, really good that job. That was Adam. really good. Um, you guys can check her stuff out. She does Fables of Refuge with Laura daily as well. Um, she is an actress who has her own YouTube channel where she talks about minimalism and other... Things.
1: Oh, you should also go on there um, if you haven't already seen her story from last year. She like oh, yeah. did a video of her uh, with some like animation, too, yeah. to Allie, accompany her Halloween story.
0: Allie Fitzgerald uh, on YouTube. Google that or at underscore Allie Fitzgerald on Instagram, and you can get to all of her stuff from there. Uh, so definitely check that out. Hannah.
1: Coming up next, uh, we have The Gravedigger by H.R. Brown and read by John Curtis.
9: Roger loved his job and everything about it. He loved reading the headstones and imagining what the Descendants' life was like. He loved using tobacco. He didn't even mind when he had to use a regular shovel. Roger basked in the light of the full moon and tranquility of the cemetery at night. He adored the smell of the fresh moist earth and the way it felt in his hands and how it made him feel closer to the souls long past. What he liked most was sneaking a quick peek at the deceased after the casket was lowered into the grave. Tonight, it was a nubile young woman who laid at rest with her arms clasped in her middle. A white lily nestled in her hands. Such a pity to die so young. He caressed her cheek with the back of his hand and leaned in and kissed her like she was his very own princess. Her eyes suddenly shot open and she let out the most horrific blood-curdling scream. She sat straight up in the coffin, still holding the lily as it was tied into her hands. She was panicking and writhing, begging Roger to free her from her restraints. Roger was stunned for a moment, but he happily obliged. Thank you, she sobbed and embraced him. Roger couldn't help but feeling like a hero. He patted her back and tried to console her. He could feel her start to relax. She sighed and began to crawl out of the casket. Roger flashed her a wicked grin and held her down into the coffin. She clawed, bit, and grabbed at him. It was a special treat when they woke up early, and even more fun when they fought back. This young beauty was especially feisty. She kicked him and pushed against his chest, trying fruitlessly to get away from her captor. The more she struggled, the more delighted Roger. He couldn't help but laugh at her futile attempts. His maniacal laugh must have startled her because she paused just long enough for him to overpower her and shove her back into the coffin and slam the lid shut. It took more strength than usual to latch the coffin, but still, Roger had enjoyed the struggle. He could still hear her muffled screams and the thumps of her pounding on the casket lid as he climbed out of the grave. He hummed taps to himself as he completed his nightly When the grave was finally filled, he packed the loose earth tight, as if tucking the deceased in, and carefully and lovingly placed a white lily at the headstone. He took a step back and admired his work. He read the gravestone. Beatrice Johnson, 1937 to 2021. He held his breath for a moment. Then he heard it, the desperate and frantic screams, the clawing and the sobbing from under his feet. He chuckled out loud, proud of his work. The thought of her bloody and broken fingers, and imagining the look on her face when she draws her final breath. Aroused, something primal in him. Well, Mrs. Johnson, I hope you don't mind sharing. He patted the gravestone as he walked away, with his shovel slung over his shoulder. yikes (laughs)
5: dude
1: that story was so scary yeah it's a
0: pretty good one uh h.r brown uh heidi has this is the second time she sent in a story i believe uh last year she wrote um her first ever story which was hell cell
1: and that was amazing too i feel like this was even like better though yeah, a, it was. It this was just, one was just like crazy.
0: Yeah, this was really, really good story by, by H.R. Brown. I was very um, stressed out. She has a Facebook page, h.r.brown on Facebook. So if you want to follow her and figure out what she's doing and what she's got going on, <laughs> you can do that there. John Curtis is my best friend in the entire world. He and I have argued about God, life, death, all of that stuff for 10 years now. Um, And he is one of the most talented guys I know and one of the most uh, wonderful men I know in my life. Uh, He is, this was his first uh, go at voiceover work.
1: I would never have guessed. That was Um, so good.
0: But he did used to be the lead uh, vocalist for a band called How the West Was Won. If you guys want to check them out, they have a YouTube page still where you can listen to a full album that they did that I actually helped write some lyrics to. Um, So that's How the West Was Won, and hopefully we'll start seeing some more coming from John. He's also trying to become a writer as well, so very, very cool stuff.
1: And the next story is, okay, well, I should preface this by saying I did not ask my family to make any submissions, but for some reason, my parents decided this was the year they were going to become writers, great. Uh, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, so both of my parents are represented in this episode. <laughs> nice. We're going to start with my mom, Mary Lambert, and her story, Out to Pasture, read by Juliana Sloan.
10: It happens this time every year. The creepy feeling I get walking past the pasture to the barn, the strong smell of blood, the sense of being watched, followed. I jump at the snap of a branch in the woods. You would think that after 20 years of this, I would get used to it. And I do, after a few weeks. Once the blood has been fully absorbed into the ground, washed in by the November rain, It leaves my mind until the time comes for next year's steers to be slaughtered. Last night, I brought them up to the small pasture. This is where their time here begins and ends, where they are first turned out from one trailer and leave hanging in another. When the truck showed up this morning, I coaxed them close to the gate with grain, asked the man with the 22 rifle to give me a couple of minutes to retreat into the house, and did so, turning up the music loud so as not to hear what was happening. I do not peek out of the window for nearly 30 minutes. By that time, hanging on a hook outside the truck with no head, fur, or skin, gutted and cut in half with a chainsaw, they do not resemble the cute, playful calves that arrived eight months ago. Now I can look out and see not an animal, but meat. I love the meat. It's the killing I don't like. I never have. Yes, I swat flies. I step on spiders in the house and spray ants with chemicals, but I always have this uneasy feeling about it. I don't like to see anything suffer. I never understood the pleasure some people get by pouring salt on slugs. If I see one my beer trap hasn't lured to its death, hey, is there a better way to go? I cut it in half with my weeder, hoping to end its garden-damaging life quickly. It is only the death of the cows that lingers, as if their souls remain, wanting revenge. I can't shake that feeling as I move through the dark by the gate where the smell of death is strongest. I never take a flashlight. It's a straight shot from the house to the barn, nothing in the way. Sometimes the stars are so bright I pause to take them in but tonight I walk faster, trying to quickly get to the eye of the motion light on the outside of the barn. Oh, safety. It is a bit foggy. Suddenly the air feels thick, heavy, alive. I hear gravel crunch. Larry? Is that you? I ask hopefully. Knowing full well a cat would not make that much noise. There is a movement in the dark that makes no sense. Footsteps crunch on the gravel. I see shapes or... No. Bodies. Animals. I walk faster, but can no longer ignore the shapes swirling around me. Then the noise begins. A noise I am familiar with. Cows. It sounds just like the neighbors heard when they are loading the calves in the truck, leaving their mothers to mourn. It gets louder, and I'm jostled side to side. My head starts to spin or... Is it my body? Finally, my mind has had it, and I black out. I slowly become conscious, like waking up from a drug-induced sleep. God, that was weird, I say to myself as I slowly recall the terror I'd felt. I must've let my imagination get the better of me and then fell. Yes, that's it. I must've tripped, fell, and hit my head. I open my eyes, waiting for them to focus. It is dark, but as my eyes adjust, I see something. Is... Is that a rifle leaning against the gate? And... A chainsaw on the ground beside the rifle? Just outside the gate, I can make out the shape of a box truck. Back open, a hook hanging from the ceiling. I shake my head, trying to clear it. I sense movement behind me, I hear a low
5: (whistles) moo.
1: Juliana did such a good job reading that. Right. She gave
0: me three different reads, and that was like the best one. But the other two were just as I
1: good. I was giggling because you know that uh, my mom is not Southern, so that was kind of funny to hear that accent. Sure. But it totally worked. Um, yeah,
0: it definitely worked. Uh,
1: yeah, she did um, amazing. Um, Juliana, I, I should give a shout out to my mom though. I think that's the first fiction she's at, or like really? anything she's ever written. So. Yeah. She did a very good job. Anna's
0: mom. <laughs> Thank you for letting Hannah come out and play. You're a <laughs> great writer. 100% you should be writing more work. So I expect more work from you. Send it in. We will read it on our show. It
1: will all be cow related.
0: That's fine. We'll have the cow anthologies. <laughs> the beef anthologies.
1: <laughs> Perfect.
0: Uh, Juliana's A. Sloan, uh is the reader of that one. She did a great job. She was recommended to us by Allie. Um, And uh, she, I was able to go and check out some of her work uh, before I, I mean, in the very little time that I had getting stuff done. Um, She's a very talented um, uh, actress. She has a Twitter where you can reach her. Uh, I am Juliana Salone, and I hope I'm saying your name right. I normally don't say people's names right. So if it's Juliana, Juliana, Juliana. Julia That's That's right Just mangle
1: it it as much as possible possible. And
0: then everyone will know it's wrong Um, She also does uh, Singing
1: singing lessons lessons.
0: She teaches singing lessons So if you're looking for someone who can help you Get better at singing Maybe with a southern twang (laughs) We obviously know that she can do that
1: Awesome! Thank and you, Juliana. That's the
0: that's it for the Lambert family,
5: right? There's oh, no more stories. Yeah, there's no from other that. Lamberts
1: in our family. Yeah, I just have a mom. No, I also have a father, <laughs> whose name is Ray Lambert. Uh, hence my middle name. Oh,
0: um, I didn't know that.
1: Yes, and I think this is also his first time writing a story too. So. Um, but but I know that I've heard, I've heard this story many, many times, um, in telling because it is a dream that he had once and it was very vivid. Yeah. Um, so when he sent his story to us, I was like, Oh, I know this.
0: Nice. And this is being read by our good friend, Allie. Allie.
1: She is reading black and white by Ray Lambert. It was a normal evening in
8: 1980. Mom was cooking and dad was outside probably working on an old car, admiring his latest garage sale. I had just gotten home from football practice and sat down across the table for my older sister Kelly to wait for dinner. Looking at her, something didn't seem right. It was like she was losing color. I blinked to my eyes, trying to refocus. Something was obviously wrong with my vision, but everything else in the room remained in full color. It was just my sister. Her skin, her hair, even her clothes gradually faded as if she were a character in an old black and white movie. She saw me staring and asked what I was looking at. Do you feel alright? I asked. She opened her mouth to respond, but her facial expression suddenly went blank. Before getting out a word, she fell out of her chair and hit the floor. "'Kelly!' my mom yelled, dropping the spatula with a clatter. I beat mom to Kelly's side and checked to see if she was breathing. She wasn't. In fact, she was already getting cold. Mom shook her and shouted repeatedly, "'Kelly! Kelly, wake up!' I bolted out the door as dad headed in from the shop. "'Something's wrong with Kelly,' I told him. Dad picked up his pace and was soon at Kelly's side with my mom. "'She's not breathing! I don't know what's wrong with her!' Dad started CPR as he had been trained at work. Mom watched in disbelief. Mom, did you see when she changed color, I asked. No response. Mom, what do you mean she changed color, she shouted at me. I looked back at Kelly's body. She still appeared black and white, but I realized I was the only one seeing this. Mom sobbed uncontrollably. It became apparent my sister wasn't coming back. Dad shook his head in disbelief and sat back on his heels. I didn't know what to do. Call an ambulance? It was too late. She was gone. I began to convince myself. I had imagined the color issue, my mind playing tricks on me in the stress of the moment. I put my hand on my mom's shoulder to console her. Mom, I said, and then jumped back in terror when she looked up at me. What? She cried. I just stared into her formerly green eyes, now gray like the rest of her body. Dad, Dad, look at Mom, I said. Do you see that? "'What are you talking about?' he said, looking at mom and then back at me. "'What has gotten into you?' my mom said. Then she fell to the floor, her head hitting the linoleum with a dull thwack. "'No!' my dad shouted, rushing to her. I ran to the phone and called the police. I didn't know what else to do. Someone needed to make this stop. My, my sister just died and now it's my mom.' I told the person on the other line, not bothering to try and explain the circumstances. Send someone now! I shouted and gave our address. Dad frantically tried to bring life back to Mom's lifeless body. I grabbed him. Dad, you need to stop. It's too late. We should get out of here. What do you mean, get out of here? He snapped. We have to take care of your mom and your sister. What the hell is happening? My heart was pounding through my chest. I myself had no idea what was happening. I only knew I was scared shitless and wanted this all to go away. But before I could decide what my next move would be, the color drained from my dad. He stared blankly at me, then slowly slumped to the ground. My entire family? Gone in minutes before my eyes? I ran upstairs to my bedroom and slammed the door behind me, thinking I had to protect myself somehow. I sat on my bed in disbelief and afraid. The house full of noise moments ago was now eerily quiet. And then there was a knock at the door. Who who, who, who is it? I stammered. I hadn't heard any sirens. No voices downstairs. Who's there? No answer. I stood and walked to the door. I was afraid to open it. But who could it be? The police? A neighbor? I turned the knob and slowly opened the door. My heart raced as I made eye contact with myself. But the body... My body that staggered through the doorway was black and white, and there was no one left to hear me scream.
0: Boom, boom.
1: Hers are so fucking theatrical. She killed it with that. Like, the production. Allie, we love you, but I'm scared to to think about how much effort you're putting into this.
0: I think next year we need to just have Allie take over the production of the entire episode. She's coming
1: for our jobs.
0: Yeah, well, I don't don't even care, that's fine. (laughs) Then I get to just enjoy eating some cereal and listening to scary stories. (laughs) Allie, you've got the job, it's yours. Stop begging us. Yeah, geez Louise, you've proven it. Email us. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Allie, for doing that, you're awesome. Uh, And your dad is a wonderful writer. Thank you. He is terrifyingly good at making me scared.
1: He he does that a lot. He should write more because he's the kind of dad who you'll just be like walking along, and he'll think he'll like blurt out some really freaky, scary scenario. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the hell is going on in your head? Like, nice. I'm, we'll be hiking or something, and he'll like come up with murder scenarios. And I'm like, yeah. do you have to do that while we're out here in the middle of nowhere?
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, moving on. Our next story is written by Curtis Dieter who uh, has been listening to our show for a while. I believe he submitted a story to our sci-fi episode. I think um,
1: he did one before that, too. I He's think an I, early contributor. I think he
0: di- is Yeah, and he is an author who's got several books out. He came out with an anthology and uh, an actual novel this last year. So uh, before we get into the story, go go make sure you check out his work. Or once you listen to the story, go check out his work. You can see his work at um, uh, Curtis, Curtis A. a. Dieter. Dot com. That's D-E-E-T-E-R um, And this is His Story 272 Read by a good friend of mine Mason Molster I I know I got it wrong I thought
1: it was Mosteller
0: Mosteller I'm sorry, Just Mason Mason, I'm sorry man. I'm, I'm sorry
1: That's how you know you're a good friend of Tyler's Is he yeah, just butchers I, your I, name I didn't
0: even say John's last name Because I was going to mess that one up and He's my best friend in the whole world uh, so Mason, you and I are cool. We're best friends now, right? Because I messed up your name. <laughs> anyway, let's listen to Two Seventy Two. Mason, Mason, read the story. 272 by Curtis Dieter. Man, I feel
11: good. I raise my arms to the twilight sky. Just glad to be alive. What a night. J elbows me in the ribs. Glad you finally had a good time. I shove him away. I know. You don't have to say it, I haven't been me lately, but I'm back, baby. One of those stupid electric scooters jumps out in front of me and I trip over the kickstand. Jay catches me as I go down, but I spill my drink into the gutter. I grab its handlebars and tip it over, kicking it for good measure. As we disappear into Friday night, I look back and sneer. Number 272, huh? Like we need that many fucking scooters. Adam Street is deserted during the week. I park 10 blocks from my building to save a small monthly fortune. Oftentimes, I get in early enough to crank my favorite jams, play a little air guitar, and forget about the awful 9 to 5 awaiting me. A loud crash booms off my Mazda and it lurches sideways. Something's jammed against my door and scrapes against pavement as I throw my body weight into it. Finally, the door gives, and I fall out face first. After I check to make sure no one's watching, I realize what hit my car. Another damn scooter. Hey! I call to the idiot who scooted into my car. Not cool, man. Not cool. But no one answers. Scooter's heavy, but I manage to push it onto the sidewalk. I check for the culprit one last time before heading towards one government center. Then I stop and look over my shoulder and my heart sinks into my stomach. No fucking way. Jay leans back and sloshes his drink. Are you not sleeping again? I shake my head. No, it's not that. I swear, man, it was right there. Two, seven, two. Sorry, I don't believe you. Did you snap a pic or anything? A damn scooter attacked my car. I wasn't exactly thinking, oh, I better grab a pic of this or my shitty friend is gonna tell me how crazy I am. He drains his gin and tonic and slams it on the table between us. Never said you were crazy. But you've thought about it, right? He refuses to look me in the eyes. Instead, he stares out the window, mouth opening and closing like a fish. That's what I thought. I knew. Dude, Troy, Jay gasps. Look. There it is. Handlebars leaned up against the restaurant's front window. Number 272, like it's watching us, watching me. It's biting its time. Holding up a finger to Natalie, our waitress, I say, check please. It's been a while since I walked the Veteran's Glass City Skyway, there's something about the roar of traffic that clears my head, and after the week I've had, my head needs some serious clearing. But Jay no longer thinks I'm nuts, so that's good, I guess. My therapist still does, but one thing at a time, am I right? Our meeting this morning went about as well as I expected, I told her about the scooter hitting my car, how it showed up outside my favorite bar, she told me they were everywhere now, that I needed to accept them as a part of Toledo's progress, and then up my dosage. Can't say I blame her, really. Maybe I am crazy. As I contemplate my sanity, a shadow shaped like an upside down hatchet stretches into my peripheral vision. My feet stop when I hear the incessant whirr. My mouth goes suddenly dry, my cheeks numb and my right hand starts to tremble. Slowly dreading what I might find, I turn and there it is again, number 272 speeding towards me. I sidestep, but not fast enough. The next thing I know I'm falling backwards over the guardrail, plummeting towards the rushing waters below. I swear I hear it snicker as it rolls up to the rail and I see those three numbers, 272, one last time before I'm sucked into the undertow of a passing barge. Hey, at least I'm not crazy, I think as everything turns black... forever.
1: That's amazing. It's like um, yep. Stephen King's Christine, you know, the killer car story, but for the modern e-scooter era.
0: Yeah. For the terrifying people who drive around Portland with their scooters. No,
1: yeah. I was working in downtown Portland like the year that e-scooters became a thing uh-huh. and they were the worst. So yeah. I'm glad to see they've made it to the Midwest where Curtis Dieter is from now yeah. and are terrorizing people there.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, so that was Curtis Dieter's story read by uh, Mason. Uh, A very good pair, I I think. I think they should do more stories together. Yeah. Start their own. Mason
1: read his sci fi story last time. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yes. Mason has uh, attributed, not attributed, contributed a a few things to us before. He used to have a podcast um, called Crit Seekers. He's been on the show as a guest on Correspondence, um, and he's got a great voice for reading. So, I, I believe he has a profile out there for doing voiceover work. So if you're ever looking for someone to do voiceover work, you can contact him. Um, if you if you need help getting to him, you can always contact us and we'll help you out.
1: Awesome. We'll
0: become his ma- manager, yeah. his agent.
1: <laughs> we'll take a commission. We'll take 10%. You're welcome, Mason. <laughs>
0: uh, moving on, we, we have... What do we have?
1: We have Tick Tick by Aaron Hurst, who is a self-described fan of the show. Yep. I see that in in the notes. So Yeah, he is Thanks, a fan Aaron. of our
0: show. He's been listening for a while, and uh, and I've, I've known him for uh, a bit. Uh, and this is read by JT from the Players Guild, a fr- another friend of mine. Uh, JT is a podcaster and a cool guy, and he read this story for us.
12: ceases. sound never ceases. Cease. Cease. It was madness. Well that was the point after all. Left in an empty room. Nothing but the sound of the clock. couldn't help but notice the ticking of the clock was every half second instead of every second like it should. It was extra madness. Madness came from other things as well. First of all, he had no idea how he came to be stuck in this room. Condemned to listen to an irregular clock. Also, because of its irregularity, and trouble knowing what time it actually was. It went on. Why was another thing he did not know? Why am I here? He asked himself in his head. and out loud a hundred times now. now. couldn't think of what he could have done to meet this strange fate. I was starting to. Audio whistle, hearing other things, voices, and random noises. I starting to doubt his very being. Did he exist? Did he exist? Jesus. Jesus. Is he still, Is he still alive? alive? Ever alive? Ever alive? Ever alive? Ever, ever? His head was swimming. Wondered, he wondered if this was purgatory. purgatory. Didn't belong here. Come Didn't deserve, deserve, this. This. Here. deserve this. What wrong could warrant this punishment? Why? 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 Who? 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 The final straw. Slow realization, it chilled him, felt horror, <laughs> frantic, he scurried around the room, scanning, Stand. searching, this Search
5: couldn't, couldn't be,
12: he knew it was, he was he had, had to, hard hard to, to be, it wasn't, it wasn't, crazy. Crazy. Who did that? Who did that? Who did that? that? screamed in a fright at the top of his lungs.
5: Where'd
12: the clock go? This room was featureless. He knew the clock was the only thing in it. He didn't know how long, how many times he'd looked at it, cursing it. It went on. It went on. 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 Where was the clock? clock? He started screaming incoherently, crying. Where was the clock? Sobbing began circling around the room, banging on the walls and shouting to drown out the sound. (laughs) It turned into more sobs. Was (laughs)
5: Was <laughs> it and it
12: came a crumpled heap on the floor. Through his tears, he pleaded to be like go, crying out for freedom from this insanity.
5: Freedom, freedom.
12: Nothing ever brought freedom. Eventually, exhaustion would overcome him
1: i feel like there's a special category of like scary (laughs) stories it's like room terror you know where you're stuck in a room like the most famous example probably being um uh the raven by edgar Allan poe uh
0: 1408
1: that i actually just looked that up i'm like also what's the movie where john cusack is like stuck in a room
5: yeah it
1: definitely reminded me of that Uh, uh it felt very claustrophobic good editing on that one.
0: Oh yeah thank you uh it was a lot of fun to do um i mean i just basically just threw everything at the wall and saw like what stuck so uh that was really well written by aaron dude thank you so much for writing that um and for listening to our show we really appreciate that jt awesome work as always he's really good on players guild um he's really fun to listen to so if you guys like how much I messed with his voice.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, I have like no idea voice. what his actual voice yeah, sounds like. No, so thanks no, for no that. No. Uh,
0: you can check out Players Guild. Uh, our next story is submitted by another. Well, he he is a friend of Allie's who submitted, and I tried to get as much information out of him as I could. Is he like, like a private it, writer type? <laughs> but he just yeah he just didn't want to give us more information. So um.
1: his name is Christopher Odom. And his story is A Light in the Darkness, read which, by Alexa. Uh,
0: which I I gave it the title of A Light in the Darkness, because again, he didn't even give me a title. He Christopher
1: said, is so artsy that he couldn't yeah, even submit like, a title. He's like, I'm too
0: busy. I wrote the story. I've got other shit to do. No, don't plug me. I'm a friend of Allie's, and I like the show. Like, that's basically <laughs> what I got from him. And yes, this is read by Alexa from the Players Guild as well.
13: I wake up to Sister shaking me. It's still dark outside, but sometimes we have to get up before the sun to ready things for Father. Put on your shoes, she says quietly, whispering into my ear. So close the breath tickles and I squirm away. Amber, I mean it, she says, tightening her grip on my arm. Her face is red and puffy and her eyes are bloodshot. The whole thing is dancing in the candlelight and it scares me a little. Do you remember what I taught you about following the stars? She asks, pulling my blanket away. It's cold tonight, and I miss the warmth as it rushes away from me. Yes, I say, because she's staring at me with this crazed look in her eyes and it makes me uncomfortable. Tell me. She pulls me from the bed and onto the cold, hardwood floor keep the bright one on my left, the one at the end of the big spoon. It's a game she used to play with me at night. She told me that the one star never moves and if I'm ever lost I can use that one to find my way. It's just a game. She gets down on one knee so she can better look me in the eyes. You're going to have to be brave for me. Can you do that? I nod because for her, I could do anything. But then she hands me the candle. I've already done most of the hard work. There's only one way out that back window in Father's study. I glued the rest shut. I want to ask why, but she's tugging me down the hallway to the big staircase. There's a smell in the air I don't recognize sweet but chemically. And it's making me a little dizzy already. Before you leave, drop the candle on his desk. We are at the top of the stairs now, and she kneels again. I love you so much, sweet pea. She says, holding back tears. Never forget that. I'm starting to get scared. Where am I going? I ask thinking that maybe this isn't a game after all. Sister holds me tighter, warm and firm. Somewhere else. She pulls back. I'm going to make sure he can't follow you. Now she's straightening my nightshirt. So be a good girl and do as you're told. She gives me a light push towards the first step, then straightens up. Don't forget the candle. I still don't know where I'm going or why. All I know is that the rules say to listen to the people who are older than you, and I've never had a reason to believe Sister was ever wrong about anything. So I do as I'm told. Pressing down the stairs to the first floor, down the carpeted hallway, and past the framed portraits of the family, all distorted in the candlelight. In this light, it looks like Father is watching me from the world in the paint. He's so displeased with me, and I don't know why. I never know why. The closer I get to the office, the worse the smell gets. The sweet becomes too much for me to take in. Like a rotten banana that's been soaked in bleach or something. It seems to be coming from the office. I push open the door and I'm hit with another wave of it. The candle even surges in the light breeze I make when I open the door. I'm worried it will go out, but it seems even more bold than it was before, like the candle is more confident in its burning. The window stands open to the black, and a cold breeze eases through, pushing the curtains lazily. I'm below Father's bedroom, and I swear I can hear movement above me. I try not to listen too closely, focusing instead on my sister's words. Drop the candle. Anymore. I was blinded by the light scorched by the heat, but now I'm outside, keeping the bright star on my left side, wondering where I'm going and why my sister wanted me to burn the family.
1: I'm wondering about that too, Christopher, <laughs> and I need some answers. <laughs>
0: please uh, yeah. write more. It was uh it was pretty it was a pretty interesting story.
1: I was on, you know, tender hooks the whole time. Were I was you? like, what's yeah. going what's going on here? Uh, I still don't really know, but
0: I mean I, I got some hardcore like uh um, handmaid's tale vibes from it.
1: Handmaid's I reading, okay. It. I was getting some like um oh god, I don't remember what the book was called, but there's one book I read when I was a kid about a girl who like escapes a religious like polygamous cult or something yeah. yeah 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 that's what I was thinking so, uh, apologies if that's not what was going on in that story yeah but if we sister, got it completely wrong
0: um then Chris hit us up man because
1: <laughs> with the next chapter <laughs>
0: you, yeah explain it I'll redo I'll remaster that story if I have to <laughs> um but yeah that was by Christopher Odom and read by Alexa uh who plays Westra On Players Guild
5: Awesome So if you
0: want to check out more from her You can check out Players Guild and see all that
1: And our next story is from a name I don't recognize So I'm guessing first time submission uh, Charlton Clark Where the Darkness Abides And uh, he is also a self-described Fan of the show Yep. I guess? Yep. Awesome. It's so cool to see all these fans like first-time submissions from fans.
0: Yeah, it's a really cool thing to see you guys submitting stories. We love it.
1: And it's read by Curtis Dieter, which what? <laughs>
0: yeah, he wanted to read a story. So I sent this one to him and he, he knocked it out of the park.
1: So. That's awesome. All right. Here is Where Darkness Abides.
14: They're coming. The world was a blur. The trees, bushes, and darkness melded into one another. His muscles were sore and aching all over his body. The pain was becoming unbearable. He didn't know how much longer he could go on. Binding a thick tree to hide behind, he stopped to catch his breath. His heart was raging. He felt it beating against his chest. His clothes were seeped in dirt, sweat, and grime. The eerie silence made him uncomfortable. There was an unnaturalness to the quietness. The forest had kept quiet and still, almost as if nature was hiding, too. His frantic breath frothed in the air. Suddenly, a sound came from the darkness. It sounded like a steady beat of heavy steps approaching. They're getting closer. His pursuer's steps were getting louder with every passing second. He held his breath, attempting to conceal any sign of his presence. He was shaking, even clinging to the tree didn't stable him. He could hear them speaking in their foreign language and laughing amongst themselves. Not looking, he couldn't mistake the sound of galloping horses and the sound of their stirrups and mail rattling in haste. He could hear their swords bouncing at their side, ready for their naked steel to feel the world and the blood of their enemy. Refusing to panic, he tried to grab a hold of himself. One wrong step could lead to his capture or worse. He didn't want to think about it. He couldn't afford to. The fear and pressure were already starting to break him chipping away at his sanity and hope. His indescribable anxiety was eating at his soul, but it was his terror that made it impossible to move. It was as if some sorcery had trapped him in its invisible holes. Just as sudden as they appeared, the footsteps began to fade. The light was fading, growing dim along the trees and ground. Feeling relieved, he peeked and saw nothing but an empty road. He could see down the path, light growing as faint as the stars in the heavens. He didn't know where to go now, but knowing where they were and that they were heading in the wrong direction sparked a bit of hope in him. Perhaps I will make it out alive. A noise from behind him grabbed his attention. He quickened around to find a shadow moving amongst the pale moonlight. Realizing it had been caught, it swiftly lunged at him. Panicking, he jumped to get out of its path, but he was too slow. The shadow brushed against his side. Rolling across the ground, fear mixed with a sharp pain. It became too powerful to fight. It was a drug that filled his veins till his mind and muscles were running on both. He tried to climb to his feet, but felt a strong hand grab his shirt, pulling him back. Adrenaline pushing him, he turned with his fist ready for his foe. He threw a punch at what he hoped to be the shadow's head. He felt the shadow's bones scrape his knuckles and fingers. The shadow let out a quick yell and fell back, releasing his captive. He didn't hesitate to take the opportunity. He ran. The all-too-familiar act came back to him. He ran as fast as he could. The sound of his steps overcame the sound of anything else. His steps were quick and precise, missing mounds, ditches, holes, and roots. A scorching pain erupted in his gut. A blood-stained arrow protruded from his gut. The sudden jolt of pain and view hindered his steps. Something caught his foot, and before he knew it, he was laying on the ground, his blood pooling. Shadows were growing all around him, overcoming him, drowning out the life of the world, the presence of the light dwindling to non-existence. Death's cold touch entrapped him like a lover's grasp, but it didn't take him. No, the wound would kill him, but not as soon as he wished. Footsteps were approaching. The snapping of leaves and twigs heralded his pursuers. Trees and bushes glowed fiery red from their torchlight. The light was blinding. He winced at its radiance. A rider approached from the shadows, manifesting from where the darkness abides. "'Can he He move?' move? he asked with a snarling, inhuman voice. "'The The arrow penetrated penetrated his stomach, my lord,' a foul, bitter voice answered. Their grotesque voices made him shiver uncontrollably. Even when dying, their voices were startling. "'Even Even if we we moved him, him, he will never make it back back to to camp.' camp. There was a commotion. He couldn't see what had happened, but he guessed the lord didn't like his servant's answer. "'Get Get that that imbecile imbecile back back to camp!' the lord spat. I want want him whipped for his insubordination. insubordination. A moment passed before someone asked what of the runaway. He could hear the hesitancy in its voice. The Lord climbed aboard his steed and ordered, kill him him and lead him to to the wolves. The Lord and his men began to depart, the light slowly rescinding as their footsteps did too. The figure's shadow rose over him. Even now, at the presence of death, he was scared to look at him. The yellow eyes of his killer stared at him. He raised his spear over him, its tip glistening with a spark. He tried to say something, plea for his life, beg to live, but he never did. The face of a snake was the last thing he ever saw.
1: Dang. Yeah.
14: Right?
1: That was creepy
0: yeah it's like a whole chase scene it's like a slasher i'm gonna like lose
1: years off of my life from being stressed out listening to all of these
0: yeah i mean that seems legitimately like it's a full story and we just got a clip of
1: it i feel like we dropped into some like possibly fantasy universe it
0: was like a dark fantasy it's a very very much a sci-fi situation but it's creepy
1: it is creepy i mean if i
0: was being chased by snake people i'd be freaking the fuck out (sighs) How Curtis, do you know you're not. <laughs> you did a great job of reading that and Charlton Clark is the author more. of that. Yeah. You also
1: you have a great writer's that. name, so Charlton yeah.
0: Charlton Clark that's his pen name. Um You don't so. think that's his real name? I know it sounds real. Like oh, that's his pen intrigue. Name. Yeah.
1: Okay, well good making and, up a and uh, name his,
0: as his publisher, I will keep I will die with that <laughs> Only I know who he
1: really is. You'll defend it as well as Stephen King's um Pseudonym <clears throat> Agent yeah. Defended his pseudonym
0: Yep um, So yeah So that was that story um, Moving on We're we're getting towards the end here We've got uh, Three or four more stories left um, We hope that you've enjoyed This This Halloween story Anthology And moving on We have L- The man The myth The, the legend? man The man <laughs> Emphasis because, on men. Yeah man. because last year You submitted a story And I was like I think Alfred's a man uh, Didn't and, he
1: submit it as a Smith and that was the confusion I, I or was it Alfred? I, I think
0: it was Alfred. Cause I was like, I was like, yeah, Alfred. I think that's a man. It's a man's name. And, and it, was, I was it like, became a recurring a joke. He emailed me specifically to tell me he is indeed a man. So mystery solved. Mystery- uh, he is the man, the myth, <laughs> the man. Um, Alfred Smith, uh, who is writing to us again and his name or his <laughs> story-, story. Sorry.
1: Is Lamenting Lullaby, and it is read by Mason Mosteller.
11: The snow was ending, and the moon shone bright, full and high and clear against a sky of black crystal. What shadowy clouds there were traipsed across the heavens like gypsy scarves, obscuring and revealing the cold, glittering stars so far away. On any other night, it was a breathtaking scene but tonight my hands gripped the cold balcony railing so tightly if the moon itself were in them I would have crushed it to powder. Jessica's cries could be heard through the thick oaken doors, and her screams ripped the winter silence asunder. They told me this might happen. I pray that it would not, but now... The midwives, bless their plucky souls, had been efficient and encouraging, but now the rest being up to Jessica had taken a turn for the worst. The youngest summoned me, Mr. Askin, you best come, sir. One look at her brimming eyes told me all I needed to know. They told you, be strong, Alexi. Be strong and see her on her way. I followed, biting back rage that threatened to burst my jaw. The midwives parted like a black curtain, faces somber, eyes downcast and full of tears. On the bed, my Jessica trembled, the last of her strength spent holding our sleeping twins in her thin, shaking arms, and smiling, despite the sweaty effort that left her spent and sodden on ruined, reddened sheets. Alexi, see? My tears escaped. I couldn't see. I see, my love. They're beautiful. Like you. My crowning achievement. Yes, darling. Her breathing hitched, and blood colored her lips as she coughed. The young midwife wiped Jessica's mouth and poured a sip of water through her lips. She nodded her thanks and looked back at me. I'm leaving, Alexi. I know. These are my legacy. Name them, but take your time. Another fit of coughing. The young midwife took the babes and another gave more water. Your violin, Jessica said, her voice small. Yes. Play it for me, Alexi. One last time. I hurried to retrieve it and hurried back, only to see them leaving. The youngest was still inside, still holding my children. Mr. Laskin? I see, child. Jessica's sightless eyes were open. Would you... Do you want me to... Place the children beside her? Sir? Place the children beside her and attend to us. One of the midwives came back. Natalia, we must... I shut the door on her face. Attend us, Natalia. Please. Natalia did as requested and kept glancing at me. I will not harm you, girl. I'm going to play for my family. My wife asked for a song, so I will play them all a lullaby. I composed an improvisation, slow, in a major key. It was the song of our love, mellow and sweet in its naivety, passionate in its blooming and maturing. It was also a birthday song of sorts, celebrating on little ones, looking at me now with quiet, sage stares. And then I played a loving dirge for Jessica, a testament to her will and strength and beauty. My fingers as certain of her song as my heart had been of her love. The twins began crying, and Jessica's eyes began to close. Natalia backed away, huddled in a corner, her screams drowned out by my music. In my mind, I danced with my family in an open field where the violin slipped and darkness claimed me. The townspeople talked. All of them? Wife and twins? What on earth happened? Murder, poison, went insane. I hear the whispers, see the fear, though there are rare occasions to be around me. I seldom go out now. Soon, I won't go out at all. My memory fades, snatches of a sad melody, blood, tears, eyes closing, silent screams from a cowering shadow, remembering now a lullaby, a sleeping family on the ground. I kneel on the wintry grass before the weeping angels of stone. They watch over Victor and Irina, placed as they were in life on either side of my beloved Jessica. And by the ivory light of a winter moon, I take my violin and play and play and play
1: That was so moody Right? It was very creepy too but also just like well done alfred
0: alfred wrote a fantastic story and can we talk about mason pulling that voice off
1: i'm just really impressed because when he helped with our sci-fi episode that was like the first time he'd ever really done vo but he was so enthusiastic with it and yeah. just to see how much he's improved from then until like up until now is amazing
0: yeah he does a really good job and i and i really hope he can he keeps at it if he can use this as practice all the better but um, he's really, really talented, and so every time he's like, yeah, I'll read a story for you, I'm like, That jackpot. was amazing. It just needs to be Mason and Allie from yes, now Yes. They just, can
1: run our episode. They'll just do
0: the whole thing for us. It'll be perfect. <laughs>
1: But yeah, so um, if you like that story and want to read more by Alfred Smith, there are a couple places you can check out his work. Um, He does horror flash fiction at nightshadestories.com. And he also writes horror-themed poetry at blackquillpoetry.com. Yeah. I got to read some of his poetry. I didn't know about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, he writes in a prose that's very poetic. It is very poetic. That was musical. Yeah. it, It worked out. By the way, that song, was so perfect, I didn't even like.
1: Yeah, that I was a good just find.
0: Threw it on there, and it worked. That was amazing. Uh, so that one was really nice. Um, up next, we have our our good old New Zealand prophet herself. Prophet. Yeah, she's she's
1: <laughs> she's spreading uh, the word of yeah, Lewis and Lovecraft. Yeah, she's spreading the word
0: of our show down in New Zealand. Um, Alyssa Smith,
1: and she wrote a story titled "Book," and it is read by a good friend of the show. Correspondence guest, Players Guild uh, member. Member, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: Britt Winchester. When my husband told me to leave, after 46 years of marriage, mind you, well, he was being absurd, wasn't he? That blasted library book was the final straw for him, so he'd claimed. But it was already two days overdue. After 46 years, I should know he'd forget to return it. He sat there on the edge of the bed, knobby spine showing beneath his threadbare nightshirt, tapping blood pressure pills into his palm. "'George, darling,' I said, "'Your library book is overdue.' "'It can't be,' he replied, turning his least hearing-impaired ear toward me. His pale, feathery hair spun with a second's delay. It was due on the 21st, George." He chased the pills with water and sat the glass on his nightstand beside the book in question. Furrowing his beetle brow, he muttered to his knees, I'm losing it. Then he pushed himself off the bed toward the bathroom. The toilet bowl tinkled. I swept over and picked up the book, smoothed a folded page corner with trembling fingers, weakened by my recent illness, and placed it on the dresser beside his comb. There, that will remind the bugger. What on our good green earth George stood just behind me in his saggy underpants, a bewildered look on his face. Before I could respond, he grabbed the book with both hands, gave it two good shakes, and tossed it onto the corner chair, where it was sure to be forgotten. Then he stomped out of his underpants, retreated to the bathroom, and turned on the shower. George, don't forget to open the window. He wouldn't, because he never did. Misty tendrils curled from the bathroom, The mirror was fogged up with condensation. Ah, here's an idea, I thought. I'll write book on the mirror as an unmissable reminder. The glass squeaked as my shaky finger formed the letters. I had only gotten to the second O when old sourpuss yanked open the shower curtain, making the rail screech in protest. Enough, you need to leave. Fancy saying that to your wife. He marched out of the bathroom, through the bedroom, water dripping off his slack pale bottom. I followed him to the bedroom doorway. Wet footprints tracked down the hall toward the kitchen. After a moment, he spoke on the phone. I've had it. Your mother needs to go. She's moving things around and I'm haunted by her nagging, he sighed. I miss her and it's only been a few weeks since she passed but I'm being tormented. Guess what she just wrote on the bathroom mirror? Boo. For some
1: reason, I was not expecting that. No, I know. I thought it was going to go a lot darker. Yeah. Instead, it got, like, kind of sad, and then it was, like, funny.
0: And then it, like, turns out to be a joke. Yeah. Not, like, a joke joke, but, like, a...
1: I thought this wife was going to have had it with her husband's shit and just, like, murder him at the end.
0: Alyssa returning with... I feel like she does a wonderful job every time.
1: Every time. Hers are usually, like, a lot darker i feel like yeah. so that's probably why i was anticipating a violent end yeah, to this story but she
0: did such a good job with that story i and like going back and listening to it a couple of times you catch these little things the clues that she writes and they're just she, it's such a good story honestly i recommend you go back and listen to it again because you'll hear it and, and be like, oh my God, yeah, it's so How good. How did I not see this the whole um, time? And then I added in the little organ bit to kind of be a little bit more of a clue of like a funeral sort of sound. Ooh. So, you know, helping Alyssa out. as. as oh I yeah,
1: she know. needed your help. Yeah,
0: she definitely <laughs> needed my help. No, not at all, she didn't. But I I mansplained my way into the <laughs> music. Um, moving, oh, and real quick, yeah, Britt. I mean, she read that so perfectly. She was super mellow, super kind of like cutesy with it she did a great
1: job brit is my podcast girl crush because she has like the just best r- like radio voice ever she does. it's so smooth and she like speaks so articulately and i'm like why don't i sound like brit
0: we did a uh, a quick promo for players guild once and i had her read it and i stopped her in the middle of it and i was like hey brit do it again but can you be less sultry, please? Because
5: <laughs> you're going to turn sultry. everybody on as they're
0: listening to our Players Guild promo. So that that's now gone down as, as uh, the thing that Tyler has said to Brent. Um, so, yeah. So thank you, Alyssa. Thank you, Brent. You guys are amazing. Uh, second to last story
1: we're getting there and
0: it's storming outside right now
1: yeah we had to like hit save real quick because the lights were flickering yeah so so so
0: just so you guys are aware like it's storming we're having a halloween time right now um it's great um second last story sorry
1: and uh it is aptly named of baseball and rain and it's by robert adkisson who i think is another first time contributor
0: yep and it's read by heather breister breister
1: I would have guessed Brister. Brister.
0: See, of course I get it wrong. I get my own best friend's name wrong.
1: (laughs) Heather, email us and tell us how to pronounce your name, please. Uh,
0: So here's of Baseball and Rain.
15: Three days. Michael looked out the window of his bedroom, watching the rain continue to drip from the eaves. He wondered if it would ever stop. Gazing off into the distance, he let his mind wander to the baseball fields, where he would now be playing in the semi-finals of the City Little League tournament. He saw himself standing on the pitcher's mound, the sun warming his back as he prepared to throw the first pitch. Winding up, he hurled the ball across the plate as the umpire shouted, Strike one! Michael smiled as he fell deeper into his daydream. Winding up for the second pitch, he released the ball and watched it fly past a swinging baseball bat. Straight two, the umpire called. Wiping the sweat from his brow as he caught the ball thrown by the catcher, he prepared for a third pitch. This game is mine, he mumbled under his breath. He started into the windup for the pitch just as three circus clowns ran onto the field from the stands, their destination being third base. Upon arriving, each of them stood touching the bag, taunting as Michael stared at them. Throw the ball, Michael! One of the fans yelled. Frowning, Michael started into his pitch, throwing it high as he turned to glance again at the clowns on third base. They began to laugh and dance around mockingly. One of them picked up third base and the three of them ran off the field. What are you doing? Michael screamed. A silence fell over the crowd. Pitch the ball, Michael, his coach called from the dugout. Michael just stared at him. But they stole third base, he replied. The silence over the crowd thickened. Michael, pitch the ball. There is no one on third base, his coach replied. Confused, Michael began his next pitch just as he caught a glimpse of colorful clothing in the crowd near first base. The pitch was high. Michael stared at first as one of the clowns calmly walked onto the field to first base, knelt down, and walked off the field with the base.
13: Where are you going
15: with that? He screamed at the clown. Michael, are you okay? Called his coach. Pitch the ball. Michael, anger rising inside of him now, yelled at his coach. But they stole first base now too. Silence over the crowd remained. No one laughed. No one said a thing. Silence. Michael, there's no one on first base. Go ahead and finish your pitching. Michael sighed, then began his windup. It was high again. Full count, yelled the umpire from behind home plate. At this, the three clowns ran to home plate each with a baseball bat of his own, taking up stances awaiting his pitch. Go away, Michael screamed. All of you, just go away. His vision went black, just as he heard the songs of a carnival being played on an accordion. He woke up to find himself in a darkened bedroom, nighttime obviously having fallen upon him. He tried to rub his head only to find his arms bound in position in front of him by a tight, straight jacket. Mom! He screamed. Mom! Silence. Out from under the bed, a single clown crawled. He winked once at Michael, walked to the door, and exited the room. Then the rains began.
0: And there you have it, a clown stealing, literally stealing first and third base from a kid just trying to play baseball.
1: Are you afraid of clowns? No, not at all. I'm iffy on them, but my sister is absolutely terrified, yeah. so uh, she would not have enjoyed that story. <laughs> I'm
0: trying to get my wife to watch it, and she she, she doesn't she, like clowns? She does not do clowns. Um, so yeah, so that was uh, that was
1: of baseball and rain by Robert Adkisson. Yeah, uh, awesome story, man. I don't, it does. He, do you know much about him? Does he do a lot of writing?
0: Uh, not that I know of. He he didn't really give me much information. Um,
1: All these so, uh, mysterious writer so just types. Writing
0: in just to you. You have great stories. You guys need to help us plug you a little bit, and you need to keep writing. Um, Heather did a great job of reading it. Um, I. Uh, Honestly, I was surprised by how good it turned out. Not that I didn't have faith in Heather. I I don't know who she is. She's a friend of Allie's um, and she came to us as well, just wanting to do some VO work. And so I sent it to her, like here's a little boy playing baseball (laughs) and scared of clowns and no pun intended, she hit it out of the park.
1: Oh, that sports pun. Yeah. I like that.
0: Uh, So Heather, thank you so much. She also didn't give me a ton of information. Uh, She is an actress and she has an IMDB. Um, so if you're looking for an actress down in LA or maybe some VO work, she can do it for you. She did a really good job for us. She did so,
1: awesome. Yeah,
0: thank you very much. And thank Allie. you, Allie,
1: for connecting us with all of your actor friends. Yeah,
0: for real. <laughs> Again, Allie's just gonna take over the, the Halloween show for me. <laughs> um, and that brings us to our last story. So uh, before we go into the last story, which was written by Mason, my 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 friend close personal friend whose name you can't pronounce last name. um <laughs> i i keep wanting to try and then i'm like i'm just gonna embarrass myself even more i'm not gonna do it um i read this because when i read it i was i fell in love with it immediately and so this one uh i put a, a good amount of work into because he did such a good job and it was fun for me um but before we go but we're gonna leave you guys with this last story um We just want to say thank you for hanging out with us.
1: Yeah, I I mean, this is awesome. This is by far, I think, the most stories we've ever had submitted for an episode. So that's awesome. Yeah. Um, And it's so cool. This time, I think we've also had like the most new contributors since our first one, since we first started this. So it's awesome to have that mix of first time writers, like people who have literally never written a story before to our like polished you know, they've released anthologies, writers, yeah. like Brianna and Curtis and Steve, like all of those guys who, who do this on the regular.
0: Yeah, uh, I hope you guys are enjoying it. I hope the writers are enjoying doing it and they're not getting tired of it. We, <laughs> we I can't wait to do it again next year and hopefully maybe do it bigger and better. I, it's getting to a point where maybe we have to split it up and do a couple of episodes because we're getting so many good stories. I, I can't turn stories away. <laughs> um so yeah and then and then if you're looking at um if you want to write a story um you can write to us at any time and especially when we get into the new year i really really want to stress how much we want to support indie authors and and new authors and self-published authors people who don't have the big five companies you know doing their marketing um reach out to us send us parts of your stories and or, or shorts or flash fictions we want to read them on our show and we want to support and and show off some of the people that listen to our show so we can start doing that if you send those in and we can get a backlog going so start sending in your work to us tell your friends to send in their work to us you can send all of your work to lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com you can go to our website lewisandlovecraft.com you can um you can go to our instagram at Lovecraft. And those are those are the big ones. Um, reach out to us there. Hannah, anything else before we before we go?
1: I don't think so. Let's hear Mason's story. What's it called?
0: It is called the last spaceman. instrument readings are good we should be exiting the warp bubble just outside of a gravity well d minus two hours to plan to fall i hear the helmsman announce our momentary arrival readouts on the screens are green across the board another routine science mission and it all changes with a loud metallic grinding as we exit our warp space bubble captain We've exited into a debris field, the helmsman frantically yells, throwing the ship into evasive maneuvers. All hands brace for impact. We're at threat level five, the captain sternly announces over the ship's intercom system. The ship creaks and moans like a Terran sea vessel from the old texts. Time seems to drag on, tension tearing at every single second until the ship shatters and then, blackness, the void. But where's the light? It should be here, shouldn't it? Panic, grasping for something, anything. A voice in the expanse. Oh, yes, someone is there. I'm saved. Blinding light, electrical smoke, and the taste of singed artificial atmosphere fill my senses next. A deep cough rips through my chest as my vision clears enough to see the command deck is in shambles. I struggle to rise and fall back down again. Isaacs, are you alright over there? The captain, oh thank the maker. Yeah, I, I just hit my head a bit. The word slump out of my mouth, slow and slurred. I can see the captain a few feet away. He begins to stand, illuminated by a hallway of flickering light to his back and something else, a shape crawling towards us. I shout, there's something behind. I try to yell, but again, it's just a jumbled mess of syllables escaping my mouth. Too late, oh maker, it's too late. The shape looms closer. The captain doesn't notice as it nears. I can make out its inky black exterior as a wordless voice gurgles from the lightness ooze. A voice I've, I've heard. The Expanse. And with a frightened scream, the captain is thrown off his feet and dragged into the flickering darkness of the hallway, and I just watch, helpless. I have to move. I have to find someone else. I have to save the captain. I search the command deck with frantic, fearful eyes. No one. Where is the crew? A scream echoes from beyond the darkened hall. I have to do something. My body protests, aches, and sharp jolts pulsate through me as I slowly pull myself to my feet using what is left of the navigation console as a crutch. And with the sluggish rhythm of a Tholian tree worm, I move toward the screams. The cafeteria. How did I get to the cafeteria? Wasn't I just, maybe I, another scream. This time from my right towards the star deck airlock. Panic, panic and sheer terror hold me frozen for a moment. I have to press on for the crew, for the captain. My broken form limps into the darkness ahead. Rounding the corner to the port side airlock, I see it again. The writhing mess of black, tendrilled ooze. It stares at me. And I stare back into the expanse. Into nothingness. Until my attention is pulled from its form to that of the lifeless corpses sprawled around the floor. Around it. Bodies twisted, bruised, and broken. Anger and sorrow replace panic and terror. I lunge for the beast, but my legs give in. Hard, cold, steel floor meets me. Blackness. The voice again. It calls out, and this time, I run toward... What? Where? I scream into the void, and the void screams back. My eyes flutter open filling and flickering light and electrical smoke. (sighs) The command deck? My vision swims as I try to gather myself. Hands wrap around me and hoist me upward. Vision clears. Captain? I manage to exhale. I don't hear a response. As my attention locks with the creature of rolling void and anger in front of me, it hisses. I can feel it draining the last dregs of life that I have. I can't escape. My final moment approaches, and then I see him. The swirling tendrils coalesce into a solid, recognizable form. (sighs) Me? I stare into the void that is myself, and it understands as I do now. The creature shivers, hisses, and shakes until it's no more. My eyes shutter closed, and I see the small crack in the ship's forward view window, a small circle of red, neatly juxtaposed to its side. Vision fades, and I smile. (sighs) The void smiles back. The void smiles back. The void smiles back. Void oh, smiles back.